Welcome to the Fourth Pillar of Play, a Night Shift Radio production, where we support your adventure in tabletop game design by discussing, learning, and creating right alongside you. And this is the point in the opening when I would normally say a greeting to Josh. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, it's just me, Talon, here with you today on your car ride or on your run or on your various uh, menial household tasks while you listen to me ramble in the background. Uh, Josh will be back next week, but for today, I want to jump into a little bit of a continuation based on last week's episode. So as Josh and I were discussing the uh, interesting conversation we had on the variations in goblin design over several different designers um, between Level Up 5e, the base monster manual game design, uh, and Flea Mortals by MCDM, with a touch of looking at some of the game design elements from the book uh, The Forge of Foes by Mike Shea, Teos Abadia, and Scott Fitzgerald Gray, uh, we were struck by the interesting manner in which uh, different designers kind of take uh, not so much attack at the mechanics of the goblin. This was something that was unique. We, we were looking at you know some of those mechanical differences, which were pretty pronounced, uh, but the major mechanical differences seem to take the biggest form in the creation of different variations on the goblin monster. So it wasn't so much that the base stat goblin was different between the four. They were with slight adjustments to... Um, certain scores, like their dexterity score, their armor class based only on equipment, and their hit points variating by maybe one or two points. Uh, these are all minor. The The general consensus was that all goblins had similar attributes in regards to their ability to move around without provoking at opportunity attacks, which is what makes them dangerous to low-level players, their ability to scoot around and not be struck. So while there was some variation in whether or not that movement was a bonus action or a reaction or just a standard attribute in an end uh, that it, that precluded them from being uh, the targets of opportunity attacks, these goblins had the ability to to move around the battlefield uh, to skirmish with the PCs in a way that keeps them from having their little gobbo heads caved in by the stray mace or longsword. So. Those design changes across those multiple designers were unique, but not drastically so. There wasn't a large swath. Now, Josh and I are both very much interested in continuing that particular series of episodes where we look at different uh, base classic monsters across multiple designers and seeing how those changes uh, can be seen and the different design philosophies can be seen. And... My guess moving forward, and I won't speak for Josh, but my guess is that those design changes will become more pronounced as our CRs climb. So if we look, say, for instance, at ogres, at which, you know, at CR3, we'll look at some maybe some ogres at some point. And since the the base ogre in the monster manual is only CR2, actually, uh, that is probably, and, you know, ogres. Ogres are meant to just be basically their hit points, their hit point pools, their brutes. They take damage and they deal damage. And there's not a lot of complication to an ogre. But it will be interesting to see how maybe as these CRs climb, the abilities change. Um, even within Wizards of the Coast, there's been some drastic changes in design philosophy when you look at 
some of the creatures that were designed even within the span of a couple of years in something like, say, um, uh, Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes or uh, one of those other expansion books, and then uh, Morden Kanan presents uh, Monsters of the Multiverse. Um, so the design philosophy, even within Wizards of the Coast, has changed uh, when, in regards to how they approach designing a monster for a dungeon master to throw it at players, uh, both with the, the, the difference in philosophy there being that Wizards of the Coast seems to be moving towards a simplification of stat blocks, especially with um, their changes for Mordenkainen Presents Monsters of the Multiverse, where uh, spell-like abilities and things like that were all condensed down to something simple, like things like, you know, arcane blasts and whatnot, instead of individualized spelled-out spells. Versus, so you have Wizard of the Coast with that simplification versus other game designers for 5e publishers who are moving towards like level up 5e or um, MCDM who seem to be moving more towards uh, complicated and, and not necessarily complicated, but they're looking at it from more of a uh, the tack of creating variety to make things more interesting. So I don't know which of those things I don't I can't say that you necessarily can say that one is right or one is wrong. So simplifying a stat block to make it easier to run can, impre- can improve the enjoyment of the game because things run faster. There's less slowing down. And if there's one thing that anybody who sat down at a tabletop knows is that combat can get bogged down the more complicated the creatures get. When you get into higher CR combat, your rounds start taking longer and longer, and it's one of the number one complaints you will run into. You will run into DMs who say, well, my biggest house rule is that I tell everyone they have to be ready with their action on their turn. And, you know, we joke about people, uh, you know, getting to their turn and then pausing the game for seven minutes to look up their ability or not being able to keep track of what they're doing, but that's not really on the players. That's something that is, the game has an exponential curve in technicality, and complication as those CRs increase. So Wizards of the Coast deciding that they want to simplify monster stat blocks down to make them faster to run, more lean, mean, and efficient is a perfectly valid design approach. At the same time, level up 5e or flea mortals, increasing complication and variety. And I don't mean to use the word complication with a negative connotation. I just mean variety and choice. It's the spice of life. So increasing those abilities and that variety in order to make the combat more fun or tactical or interesting and varied so it doesn't just become a series of I roll this, I hit, take this, next. So is also a perfectly valid design approach. So. One of the things that Josh and I are looking at as we are, you know, talking through and designing things, that is a that is a the line that you or anyone, I suppose, who is on a journey of learning how to design for games has to settle a nest for themselves. Where do you fall? Do you fall in simple or do you fall up through more tactical and complicated? 
And I don't think that, I don't think you have to tie yourself down one way or another. There is always room for a simple brute who deals a lot of damage and can soak up a lot of damage. But as you create more unique monsters, as you create more unique abilities, more unique characters, that level of complication and a you know detail level is something that we are right now trying to find our sweet spot with what we design. And I will freely admit that when I approached thing uh, designs and I start writing and I was doing it today, if I'm looking at something, I tend to move more towards complicated, but not in the good way. So, you know, if we talk about learning and reflection, you know, you have to reflect on your learning. And that is the part of the process that Josh and I are going through here. We are reflecting on our on our journey to see what kind of game designers we can become. The I know and I'm able to recognize that I overwrite and so whatever I create, I know needs to be trimmed back. So I'm going to be sharing some stuff with you today based on our episode from last week that I fully anticipate is going to need to be trimmed back. And as Josh has said multiple times on the show, and it's a, a wonderful observation, the fact of the matter is we are technical writing. And technical writing is very, very different than... Uh, standard writing. It is a whole different kettle of fish to writing fiction. I've written a lot of fiction. And I'm not saying that I'm good at it, but I've written a lot of it. And I'm, it's not nearly as stressful. The idea of writing a story doesn't stress me out nearly as much as what I was working on today. So last week, we talked about goblins. And the whole point of this little tirade that I just went on is to point out that while goblins don't have a huge amount of variety in their stat block technicality across different game designers, they do have a lot of difference in fluff, in flavor text. That seems to be a big change across the game designers. All the way from the Wizards of the Coast that goblins are all black-hearted and evil, all the way up through Flea Mortals, which has wonderful flavor text talking about how they are the they are the, the 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 lowest of the low in society, and their behavior reflects that treatment. It is a sympathetic and more nuanced take. So that that text, that design, that flavor, the fiction of the monsters has a drastic difference across um multiple game designers. And that is something that both Josh and I found very interesting. And when we took up the idea of what we want Esterok to be, that's been from day one, we have talked about how we don't want to fall into the trap of all monsters are evil, you know, all goblins are evil, whatever. So thinking about it, I was brainstorming a little bit today. Now, this is just Talon's thoughts right here. This, these have not yet been vetted by my partner in crime. So he'll be listening along, and I wonder what he'll think of these. And we will have a discussion and bring it back when he's back next week. But I was thinking about goblins in Esterok. I love the idea that these game designers have eventually evolved into that goblins are the rejects of society. Um... If anyone listening is familiar with uh, my favorite fantasy author, Terry Pratchett, and I'm sure you, many of you are, 
uh, his final book in the or second to last book before he died, unfortunately, um, was a book called Snuff, starring my favorite literary character, uh, Commander Samuel Vimes, where he deals specifically with goblins in Discworld. And the book is very achingly sad when it comes to goblins. Um, they are the rejected of society, the lowest of the low, and you have a character who has, over the course of many books, gone from low to very high in society, who is bringing himself to these lowest of the low and finding their value and the beauty in their existence. It's an achingly beautiful message. Um, and that his fiction approaching those goblins is one that I love. And that seems to be much more reflective of the kind of modern take if you look at like the flea mortals design of goblins so if in esterok goblins come from a world that is like that let's say that our starting point a thousand years in the past is that goblins start as the lowest of the low the rejected of society some some of them reflect that rejection as sad trod down some reflect that treatment as vicious and vengeful in retaliation but they are a product of the way society treats them as we all are in real life so if goblins in esterach began as creatures who were treated poorly by whatever world from which they came as maybe laborers or as their own travelers I can imagine that goblins wouldn't necessarily look at being trapped as on Esterok after the events of the Sevenfold Storm as something that was a net negative. If the world treated you like you were the disgusting, underfoot refuse of existence, a whole new world, cue the Disney music, a whole new world in which you had the freedom to go out and do whatever you wanted, free from the shackles of the way society had treated you previously, how would you act? And so I have this imagination that just like, and also, just like in the real world, they didn't all do the same thing. So I love the idea that some goblins, some goblins probably went off and joined in with society. They teamed up with everyone, and so you have goblin lineage mixed right in with all the elves and dwarves and everything else like that. That over that thousand years, that necessity for survival maybe did away with some prejudices as those people advanced themselves and intermingled and grew and evolved over a thousand years as they built their society. But some goblins, some goblins might not have done that. They didn't become black-hearted murderers. Well, some of them might have. But they escaped to the verge. So in my head, and this is, we'll see what Josh thinks, in my head, a large number of goblins who found themselves stranded on Esterok took to the wilds. They ventured out far beyond anything that might have resembled society or civilization. They shunned those who they had previously been, or who had previously shunned them, and they went off into the verge. And so in my brain, Esterok goblins live in the wild. They live in their own societies uh, built into 
the giant ruins. I like the idea that goblins specifically seek out ruins and the remnants of giant, uh, the old Leviathan culture, and they deck themselves out in the uh, in the memory. They create their own mythology and their own culture based on the ruins they find deep within the jungles, bordering up to on the areas of the Eldric mutating verge. And that's where you find most uh, most still uh, pure goblins, um, as opposed to goblins who might have intermingled at some point and have different traits. Uh, as we have said, in, as many of the creatures in Estrach have sort of that custom lineage. So they are fiercely protective of their, their group, their tribe, whatever we decide to call it. Their society, they are fiercely protective of their society. They don't like invaders, but they not in a, you've ventured into our area, we attack you, more in just a goblins as statted out in the monster manual and by many other designers, hide, they're stealthy. So the goblins and Astrock, they hide, but they hide in the wild. They hide in ruins. They are strapped with ancient pieces of Leviathan metal forged into new um, kinds of armor, and their natural cunning and uh, propensity towards tinkering and things like that have led them to kind of their own little miniature advanced society that has advanced parallel to everyone else's society just in that different setting of right there next to the verge. I imagine that there's lots of verge wardens among the goblins, not the kind that help others, but maybe that they help their tribe, they help their people, and they nomadically move around and they track. Maybe they see themselves as the, as the cartographers of the verge. Map making has something that they have taken as part of their society. And so when uh, other humanoid races from outside the verge or from the colossal expanse uh, are able to get their hands on something like a goblin-made map, of some of the wilds, they're a rare treasure because of their accuracy. I want to give goblins something that they do that is then valued by society. And that value came because they were able to avoid being treated as the underfoot creatures for long enough. So that's sort of what I was thinking with goblins. I like that idea of kind of evolving and tweaking their culture enough to create something unique. Um, again, I always come back to something who I, you know, one of the best examples of a game designer who really was able to create something special by just changing flavor um, is Keith Baker when he created Eberron. When Keith Baker created Eberron, it was just absolutely brilliant. You know, your dwarves become uh, these bankers. You have the uh, the orcs who have a much uh, much different society. And this the way, you know, Havelings are barbarians who ride dinosaurs. I am a sucker for that kind of stuff. And so that's how I envision goblins as isolated um, in their own advanced society within the verge based on the remnants of ancient giants who are specialty uh, explorers and cartographers who are fiercely protective of their own knowledge, learning, and culture, and whose uh, whose, whose value comes from the fact that 
even though they've been always treated as they didn't have value, now they have got something that they are able to do because they were removed from the negative influence of previous civilizations. That to me seems really cool. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you think of this, Josh, as you listen to this. So, by the way, uh, unless you uh, are not really paying attention, you'll notice that I have, uh, while I'm following a loose structure as I talk to you all today, because uh, I'm by myself just talking to you into my lonely little microphone, uh, you're going to get some stream of consciousness talking. And because I don't have the, another person to keep me on track. So, sorry, not sorry. The next thing I wanted to talk about in this episode, and of course, just because it's me, it might end up being a little bit shorter, is I want to talk about revergence. Now, we've talked about revergence several times. We still don't even have a finished revergent chart for players because we see revergence as this, uh, this thing that happens to you in the verge or through interaction with revergent creatures that can slowly cause you to gain abilities but also lose yourself to the eldritch alien mutations of nature on Estrock. But one of the things we've mentioned several times is the idea of revergent creatures. And I'll tell you how I came to this. I came to this because I was thinking about goblins. And I was thinking about how, wouldn't it be cool? My first thought was, well, maybe I'll give goblins like revergent powers. And so I started thinking about what would a floral revergent goblin look like? And as I developed this idea, I ended up spiraling and just into working on the revergent creature template. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to share with you what I have drafted um, template-wise for revergent creatures. It is by no means finished. It is by no means in a final form. And as I read it, I mean, you're going to get a live commentary on things that I already hate. So, but I do want to kind of go through it. And again, this comes back to this idea of how technical writing is something that is uh, a skill that I need to work on. So. I started with this idea of a revergent creature should have a base template. And my first thought was, if any of you have read um, the Dungeons of Drakenheim by the Dungeon Dudes, they have a, a base template for their, their aberrant, uh, horrific, eldritch creatures that you can just throw on a monster. And it's, and it's a quarter of a page, half a page, which says they gain this, they gain this, and that's it. And as I said earlier in this episode, I have a tendency of overwriting. So I was like, well, let's see. Can I create something that's just a add this, add that, and done? The answer, my friends, is I can't. So here's what I have written so far. Revergent creatures. Any creature that lives or ventures into the verge is at the mercy of the Eldritch Wilds. The alien nature of the dark reaches of the jungle most often destroy anything or anyone unwise enough to linger in the shimmering regions of the most primal Esterok. Occasionally, the very essence of the Verge will infect and mutate a creature rather than destroy it outright. The end result may be the same, but for a brief while this new horror stalks the Verge mindlessly seeking to spread the unchecked eldritch alterations to new regions and creatures before it finally succumbs to revergence and returns fully to nature. Revergent creatures act in a near-mindless manner. As if the will of the verge acts through them, they seek only to spread the effects of the verge to other creatures and areas. Commentary, I'm using the word verge too much. 
A revergent creature will not communicate or retreat from a combat encounter, but will fight to the death regardless of situation. The only strategy apparent in their behavior is the motivation to seek the most populated area before launching their attacks, unless forced into combat by smaller number of foes. A revergent creature is easily recognized once it attacks, as its revergent aura becomes more pronounced as it grows in aggression. A revergent creature regains, uh, retains their basic ability to act and manipulate tools as they could before they began mutating. However, spellcasting abilities are altered by the nature of the revergent magic. The revergent creature template can be applied to any monster stat block. To create a revergent creature, choose from the listed abilities depending on the base challenge rating, CR, of the creature and the specific degree and nature of the revergent mutations desired. So my thought here was, to have four levels of revergence. This is entirely separate from the player revergence track, but it's related, it's similar. So you can take a any monster, take a goblin, and you can edit it with a revergent template. And the revergent template is four levels. And the first thing I will tell you is I wrote it in as levels zero, one, two, and three, which is way more complicated than it needs to be. I need to change it to levels one, two, three, and four because there's several abilities that are based on math that takes into account their revergent level. So, all revergent creatures gain the, gain the same base properties at a level zero mutation, which I'm sure at some point I will change to a level one mutation. CR. So a revergent creature's CR is increased by one, and now I'm, as I'm looking at this, I'm gonna go, okay, so that line's now going to read, a revergent creature's CR is increased by one, is increased by its revergent level. That would, it's as simple as that. Technical writing. How can I be as clear as possible in as few words as possible? So right now I wrote the creature's CR is increased by one. And then later on I say if you level it up higher, you keep increasing the CR. I could just say a creature's CR is increased by its revergent level. Hit points. The creature gains a number of hit points equal to two times its number of hit dice. This is a reflection of the fact that the a revergent template has a great deal based on the creature's increased constitution. They are tougher. Languages. The creature loses any languages it may have possessed. It can only communicate telepathically with other revergent creatures. If an attempt is made to read its thoughts, only raw predatory emotions are detectable, combined with an overwhelming desire to spread its mutations. This was something I liked the idea of. I liked the idea of basically taking away their language they're not, you know, you know, borrowing a little bit from zombies, borrowing a little bit from, uh, you know, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer, kind of pulling all these things together that I don't want a revergent creature to be evil, but they are mercilessly natural. But I do like the idea that someone might try to cast detect thoughts on a revergent creature. And what would you get from a detect thoughts on a revergent creature? And that could be interesting. Constitution. The creature's constitution score increases by two. This is another one that I want to change the language here. It should say uh, increases by two times its revergent level. So a f what I have right now labeled as a three, but will eventually be a level four revergence level, increases its constitution by eight. These creatures can get really tough. Um, features. First things first, false appearance. This is borrowed from the Monster Manual and the SRD. Um, just kind of the language changed for our world. If the revergent creature is not wearing clothing, so if you if you have a you know an NPC stat block that you apply this to, 
and they're wearing armor, this is not going to apply. If the Revergent creature is not wearing clothing and remains motionless, it is indistinguishable from an environment that matches its specific mutated nature, floral, mycelial, and mineral only. So this means that if you are a level, uh, if you have levels in Revergence that are mineral, stone-based, and you are in stones and you don't move, that stat, that monster is indistinguishable from the environment. However, there's no environment that is animals. So for anything on the faunal track, we have stealth bonus. If a revergent creature advances on the faunal track, it gains the ability to add its constitution bonus to all dexterity stealth checks. The next ability they all ga- gather, even at the first level, revergent aura. When a revergent creature is bloodied, its hit points reduced by half, the magical nature of the revergent mutation begins to leak from its form. A shimmering aura begins to surround the creature. The size of the aura is dependent on the base creature's size. Small and medium creatures have a 5-foot aura, large and huge have a 10-foot, and gargantuan has a 15-foot. Any creature that begins its turn in the aura must make a constitution constitution saving throw, the DC equal to 10 plus half the creature's CR, or be poisoned until the end of the next turn. Now, I need to look up the exact technical language on this because for creatures that are less than a CR1, so for instance, a goblin, CR half, or CR fourth, a revergent one automatically becomes CR1, and then they move on from there. CR math below level three is very wonky. All right. Here we go. Revergent burst. When a revergent creature is killed, it releases a blast of eldritch energy and a radius depending on the base creature's size. Small and medium, five feet. Large and huge, uh, 10 feet. Gargantuan, 15 feet. I think I left off a size category. Any creature in the radius of the blast must succeed on a constitution saving throw. The DC equals 10 plus half the creature's CR. Or make a roll on the revergence chart. So that's how, in my head, a revergent creature that explodes and releases all of its revergent energy, if you're next to that explosion, you're going to have to make a roll on the revergent chart and risk being infected. That means if you're fighting a, let's say you there's a dwarf, and that dwarf has become a revergent, a mineral revergent dwarf, and it explodes and sends magical energy and shard chips everywhere of stone, you might have to make a roll and take a level in um, mineral revergence yourself. <clears throat> I like this too. <laughs> the reversion creature can also choose this ability as an action, sacrificing itself to spread its alien infection. Um, again, because their motivation is spreading revergence, that's what happens. You become infected with revergence. The desire to spread is what overtakes your brain. But then how do we affect spellcasters? Now, I will tell you right now, in the original version of this, when I was writing it, I reduced, I said, if you're a revergent creature, your intelligence reduces to one. And then I thought to myself, well, what if it's a wizard NPC stat block? There's a wizard NPC stat block that has spells that are based on intelligence. If I reduce the intelligence to one, how can I justify increasing the CR? So I removed the ability to reduce its intelligence. However, it still maintains that it doesn't speak anymore and everything like that its intelligence just comes in from its actions and then i thought okay so what about spell casting so if they can't speak anymore how do they use verbal components and so this is where i took kind of a design a design thought from mordenkainen presents monsters of the multiverse um plus some of the mike shea you know simplified lazy dm style design and i thought okay spellcasters. 
any spellcaster and uh, stat block, or any spellcaster stat block that gains the Revergent template loses its ability to cast its spells right off the bat. It doesn't cast Magic Missile anymore. If this is the case, I wrote, add the following action to their stat block using their former spellcasting ability modifier. So they get Revergent Blast. It's a melee or ranged spell attack. It can be either or. It is going to be the same spell attack bonus as their previous spellcasting ability. So it says use your use your former spellcasting ability modifier. So it's whatever to hit. It's got a reach of five feet or a range of 120 feet, one target, and it hits for four times its CR in force damage. Now, here's a, here what I have to. This is you know the legal aspects of looking at this. This is pretty much, and again, I'm not publishing this at this point. I'm putting it out on you know for free as I think about it. Um, the melee or ranged spell attack. Five feet or range 20, 120, that is how they approach things like uh, an arcane blast from Mordenkind and presents Monsters of the Multiverse. It is possible that I can't phrase it like that, although you can't you can't copyright a game mechanic. So this idea of an attack, I might have to change the language to basically this is its it's swiping at you with uh Eldric Revergent Magic or blasting away at you with it. Um, but you only get those abilities if you were a spellcaster to begin with. And this represents how Revergence mutates your own natural magical abilities as you lose your um, you lose yourself to the world. Revergent creatures of greater power. If a Revergent creature survives long enough to advance in its mutations, it can uh, it can be adjusted based on the charts below. For every level of Revergence gained, increase the base stat block's con score by 2 and adjust the hit points accordingly. Every level of Revergence gains the ability of the previous levels. So that's how I justify the CR increase. That As these CRs increase, you're gaining a lot of abilities. If a Revergent level grants a creature a spell-like ability, the creature's spell attack and save DC are based on its adjusted constitution score. So just like the, ver- the uh, Nullomancer we're working on, uh, I'm, I'm using constitution here. I'm basically, what we've talked about is that Revergence makes you tougher. You lose yourself, but it does make you tougher. And so basing, if your constitution increase increasing is reflecting the world itself infusing you with magic, then as you use that magic, it makes sense to me that you are powering it by the own essence of yourself, your own, your own uh, health. And so I'm using the constitution as your spellcasting ability bonus if it's a spell-like ability. Now, I only developed one of these so far. So the attack will be your proficiency bonus plus your con modifier, and your spell save DC will be eight plus your proficiency bonus plus your con modifier. That's the same formula you would find for any spellcasting class in the player's handbook. So I was looking at floral revergence. Floral revergence equals plants, because again, I was thinking about what a plant goblin would look like as I was first entering into this little journey of brainstorming some technical writing. So again, I have it 0, 1, 2, and 3 for levels. And what I did was very simple. For this, I opened up the player's handbook, and I turned to the page where it listed the druid spell, or that the druid, yeah, the druid, the druid spell list. And I picked a cantrip and a first, second, and third level spell from the druid spell list. And I said, well, if you're a floral, if you are slowly turning into a plant, then here's what would happen. 
At the first level of Revergence, you gain everything previously described, the aura, the burst, and everything, the ability to hide the false appearance or the stealth bonus. In this case, it would be the false appearance. But you also, at the first level, uh, you don't gain any spell-like abilities. You just gain those base things. At the next level of Revergence, you gain the Thorn Whip Cantrip and Entangle. And you can do that a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Um, and that may change. The number of times you're, you gain the ability to do these might change. Uh, I have to decide if it's maybe once a day, twice a day, etc. At the third level of Revergence, you gain the Spike Growth spell-like ability. And at the last level of Revergence, uh, last Revergence level, the current one that says three, which I will change to four, I'm sure, set you gain plant growth. So then I was thinking, okay, so this is a very quick and dirty way to change monsters up. And I was, as I was trying to force myself to say, Talon, the Revergence template needs to be able to be easy for a DM to use. They need to be able to take a goblin and say, you know what? I want a three levels of Revergence slapped onto a goblin. So I take my goblin, they become CR3. Um, so they become CR1, two, yeah, they become CR3. And they get a plus six to their con. They gain the ability to cast Thorn Whip, Entangle, and Spike Growth. They have False Appearance, a Revergent Aura, and um, a Revergent uh, Burst. And a whole lot more hit points. Because even if you take your base goblin as listed in the monster manual, uh, let's see here, you've got your goblin. Your goblin has a con of 10 and it has seven hit points. That's if you use the monster manual goblin. If I were to take a goblin at what is currently the second, but I'll call it the third level of Revergence, that's a plus six to their con. If I take that, their con goes from a 10 to a 16. That means that they have two hit dice and I am adding two points of, I'm adding a hit point, one hit point, two hit points, three hit points per hit dice, three, two hit points. I am adding then six hit points. Hold on, I'm gonna do my math. I'm gonna do my math here. So if I were to increase a goblin's constitution to 16, a 16 is a plus three. So right now, yes, so that would add six hit points to a goblin. So they would go from seven hit points to uh, 15 hit points, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, sorry. 13 hit points. I can do math. Um, I'm not even going to edit that out. I'm going to leave in my embarrassing counting. So it takes it to 13 hit points. Now you see, I've already found a problem because, let's see here. I'm going to pull up for myself. Paul, my friend, you know, my friend. My, my, I wish he was my friend. My monster manual on a business card. And I'm going to look at if that would work for a CR. So if I were to do this, my goblin would be a CR3 goblin. And I just said that it would increase its hit points to 13. And that's not, not going to work. 
because its hit point should be around 60. So I already need to come up with something different. I need to come up with something different to adjust its hit points. Its hit points can't just be based on its constitution. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But because a CR3 monster should have around 60 hit points. Oh, man. Everything affects everything else. That's one of those other things that we're discovering as we go through this stuff, is that as all of these different things get changed, it affects so many other things. So you can't just bump up its con. It doesn't add its hit points enough. It doesn't add up its hit points enough to justify a a change in CR of plus three. Even if it gains these spell-like abilities, I would say those spell-like abilities plus the uh, base revergent things and the, that increase in con does not, by any stretch, bring it up to a CR3. Maybe a CR1 or 2. And even that might be stretching it on the 2. At max, a CR1, and the hit points are still woeful. So we need to come up with something better to reflect the hit point change. But that's sort of how I'm, we're going through this. And every time we do it, we have to look at it and think, okay, how is this affecting everything else? But that is, if nothing else, thinking about goblins and thinking about the different ways that goblins have been designed over multiple stat blocks has led to us finally getting something down on some work on developing this revergent template. So I know that I need to attack the hit points. And maybe Josh will have some ideas when I have him read this and we discuss it for our next episode. But what kind of easy, simplified math can we apply to make a goblin much tougher. A third level of Revergence Goblin should be as strong as a third level monster. And maybe it's as simple as the C, maybe it's just as simple as the CR doesn't increase as much as we're talking. And that might be the more elegant simple fix, that it doesn't gain an increase in CR right away. Maybe for every two levels it gains a CR increase. That would mean that at max, it would go up by two to a CR two. And then, if, that, if we did that, then at the last level, it would have a plus 8 to its con, which takes a goblin to an 18 constitution, which means 2, 4, 6, 8 hit points. That's still not nearly enough. So that's going to be our homework for the week, looking at hit point math and also figuring out, since we can't just steal spell-like abilities for all these four different kinds of revergence, what are some of the other things? We already said that things like the... Um, the animal revergence will be based on gaining natural attacks. Um, the mineral revergence will be based on gaining damage reduction, armor class increases, and more hit points. And the fungal will probably be something with poisoning and auras. So that's sort of our thought process on these four different types of revergence. And those reflect to the player chart that we've been working on as well. And as we continue working on these, and developing them, we have to keep going back and forth to all the different things that we're editing. So if we change something in this chart, it might mean that we have to go back to the player revergence and make edits there. And that's really one of those things that's coming up as we learn this whole process, is how interconnected every change you make is. And that's probably what makes game balance so difficult, and why this takes so long for giant teams of people, and why it takes you know infinitely longer for two guys doing this as a hobby on the side. But I hope that that was interesting, if nothing else, um, or I hope that you were able to fall asleep nicely listening to the dulcet tones 
of me talking about that, even though my tones are not that dulcet. But I think, friends, that's all the time that I have for tonight. So thank you again for listening and supporting the show by listening. We really appreciate it. Um, Thank you to you. Thank you to Night Shift Media. And thank you to everyone who works so hard to make this game that we love so interesting and varied. So for more information or to peruse the latest drafts of our creations, um, I'll slap up my uh, a link to a view-only version of the document that I've been working on on our website, www.fourthpillarofplay.com. All spelled out. Uh, where you can also like or follow us on Instagram. So, hey, thank you so much. Thank you, Josh. I missed you. Thank you to you listening at home. Thank you to everyone who helps make this show possible. And... I, and I'm sure Josh, is included in we, look forward to creating more with you.